Thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Get a free audiobook with a free 30-day trial at audible.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, February 10th, and we're talking tech and desperately vying for Gabby LaPera's approval. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Fool.com, tech editor Sarah Priestley, and the host of the financial show, Gabby LaPera. Uh, so, Gabby, pretty awesome to have you on the show. We haven't done, or I haven't done, I don't know if Sarah has anything with you before. You want to give people a little background on why you're here? Yes. So, my name is Gabby LaPera, um, and I don't own any stocks. This is where you say hi, Gabby. Hi, Gabby. <laughs> this is your confessional. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't own any stocks, and that's kind of pathetic for someone who has worked at the Motley Fool for a whole year and a half, almost two years, year and three quarters. Um, and so I made it my New Year's resolution to buy five stocks, one in each sector of industry focus. And originally, I was just going to talk to you guys off the air and be like, educate me about your sector. But then we decided, why not do this? Why not do it live? Um, so here we are. Uh, but I want to remind our listeners that this is not personal advice for me. Um, Dylan's not going to say, like, hey, Gabby, I know you like to slack off at work, so I'm pitching you Facebook. <laughs> that would totally make sense, though. <laughs> and yes, I'm pitching you Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is, this is more just like stocks that they like, um, potentially that they already own, and that they think everyone should, should just have a little think about. This isn't personal advice for, for you. Because I don't know, Dylan probably doesn't know you. Maybe he does. Probably, I mean, probably, probably not. not. Sarah might know you. She knows more people. <laughs> Sarah's got her eyes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So keep in mind, no personal advice. Uh, we also have some disclosure stuff that if you've listened to every other show this week, you can probably fast forward like 15 to 30 seconds while I tell you about it because it's the same stuff you've heard on every show this week so far, which is. That the Molly Fool has a disclosure policy, and we must publicly disclose if a contributor has an interest in any of the stocks mentioned, which is any of us on the show. Additionally, full employees work under trading restrictions. Um, we must hold stocks for at least 10 days because we are not about that day trading life. Um, we also cannot write about a stock in the period of two market days before to two market days after purchasing or selling the stock, which means that no one on this show has purchased or sells. Sold. Sold. Thank you. There you go. I'm doing good, guys. Yep. Um, any stocks uh, that we're going to talk about today? Not a shock for me because I haven't bought any stocks yet. <laughs> but uh, very good on you guys for exercising <laughs> some self control. <laughs> uh, one of the things that, before we get into the stock discussion, that I thought was really great about this week, and uh, I don't know if you listened to the episode that I did with Michael Douglas about New Year's resolutions, but we talked about the idea of having an accountability buddy. On your resolutions, and you, whether you realize it or not, I've got ten. Ten, yeah. <laughs> so, 10. so that was an expertly <laughs> crafted resolution by you because you basically outsourced all of the uh, like motivation to other people. Oh and, no, I'm an expert at that. Yeah. So it was I'm well done. Management tier. <laughs> so, so if you're if you're struggling to set up your resolutions even now, or you're wondering how you get them done. Take notes from Gabby LaPera, who mm -hmm. managed to rope in 10 people to help her out with her stock buying decisions for 2017. I'm just very well liked around the office. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, but this is going to be a fun show. I think the idea of doing a theme week and having some analysts pitch some stuff is really awesome. 
to get us started, I think Sarah's going to go first in talking about Shopify. Yeah, I um, I am very bullish, like a lot of fools here on Shopify. So I would like to give you a little bit of background about the company and tell you what they do. So that I apologize if good. you already know. No, yeah. I don't actually. Tell me what they do. <laughs> so uh, Shopify IPO'd in um, 2015 for 1.27 billion. Their current market cap is 4.9 billion, so they're still pretty small. Um, the company was founded in 2006 by Toby Lutka. I think that's how you say his name. I'm very sorry if that's not how you say his name. That sounds right. Um, so he's now the chairman and CEO, but originally the company was founded um, as a snowboarding company, but they found that they couldn't um, find any online store software that would work for small companies at the time. So you're talking the 2004 era, remember, if we can. Um, and it was all for big companies that wanted to establish an online presence. So there was nothing that was custom for small companies. So they <coughs> discovered this glaring hole in the e-commerce market and they believed that future businesses will be created online and almost online only and obviously that was pretty futuristic of them that's exactly what we have now if you look at Etsy and a lot of other companies um, so in 2006 they launched Shopify and Lutka described Shopify as the only platform you need to build your empire and I would say given their offerings that's pretty true um, so the company has 325,000 merchants currently using their platform. There's mostly small, medium businesses, but there's some bigger names that you'll recognize. So um, there's some Amazon web stores, Tesla, Johnny Cupcakes. Does anybody know Johnny? The, the very, Boston chain? Yes. I am very familiar with I know them. Johnny Cupcakes, <laughs> having spent five years in Boston. Uh -huh. That sounds um, like a gang member, like a mob well, member. Well, they're like they're the T-shirts, like but also it's kind of a like coffee or a cupcake place too, right? It's something like that. They, I know the way that they present their T-shirts is that they wrap them and they, they give them to you in a cupcake box, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, if they do cupcakes, then I will definitely sample that too. <laughs> yeah, that's a very popular joint. On, I don't know if it's Boylston or Newberry Street, but one of the main shopping strips in Boston. Well, I, I don't know if they have other weekend. locations. I'm, I'm oh. not Check kidding. Johnny Cupcake sounds like someone who will whack you. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take you out back, go see Johnny Cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Wikipedia shop also uh, uses them and Los Angeles Laker, Lakers. But uh, the important thing with this is that when you go onto these sites, you would not know that you're using a Shopify platform, and that's completely deliberate. So Shopify says, our job is to make our merchants look their very best in every interaction they have with their customers. And I would say that's completely true. When you go on their sites, you have no idea. It's not branded for Shopify. They're giving merchants everything that they need behind the scenes. Um, so what do they actually do? Well, it's a cloud-based platform, and it allows customers to add the functionality that they need to sell on multiple platforms, so web, mobile, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and even physical retail locations. So they offer analytics in real time, and they really offer um, you know, a plethora of things, but I'll just touch on a few. Sales analytics by channel and customer, inventory management, discounts and gift cards, order processing, customer management. So this is really data to, to better understand uh, your customer preferences and build relationships. And importantly, payment processing. So in the US, Canada, the UK and Australia, that's fully integrated with their platform. So think uh, PayPal, Square, those kind of companies. Uh, and where it's not available or the company has a preferred payment processing partner like Visa, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, um, the platform connects with those payment gateways seamlessly. Um, so you can do it all by yourself. If you're a merchant, you can set up online, uh, desktop and mobile. They have 150 customizable storefront designs and they're optimized for SEO and social media. And they also serve uh, physical locations with point of sale. Um, and you get all the same integration with all of the analytics that you would if it was online. Uh, so yeah, they make it super easy for you to operate as a small to medium business and grow to be a huge business too. 
Wow, that was, I think, one of the most coherent stock pitches that I have received. <laughs> I'm, I really regret letting Sarah go first. <laughs> <laughs> you being too nice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell me about your company? I don't know if I need to hear about it. But <laughs> I, th- I think before I think we before we get into my pitch on Facebook, um, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the things that Sarah likes about yeah. Shopify? So. Um, the crux of my argument on Shopify is basically that it's a really comprehensive platform. So you can grow from being a tiny startup to multi-billion, million, sorry, pretty sure, maybe they do, but I'm pretty sure they don't have any billion dollar companies on there yet. Um, but they they completely offer everything and that cradle to grave functionality is incredibly rare and I would say is their probably biggest competitive advantage. So um, the company is yet unprofitable and that's something you really need to bear in mind. So you, if you invest in them, you're investing in their growth story. And they intend to grow in two ways. So that's to grow the number of merchants that they serve and to grow the number of um, the amount of revenue that those merchants transact. Um, So the last one is the long term uh, instrumental to their success because it's symbiotic. If they can offer their merchants this full suite of products to make them successful, their ecosystem becomes super sticky. The customers are unlikely to leave. And as they grow, Shopify grows, which is, you know, the, the perfect recipe. So Lutger is aware of this and he frequently reference, references investments to help merchants sell better. And you often hear this, meet merchants where they are or meet customers where they are. And this is the definition of this. He says, uh, they've launched Apple Pay, Salon Messenger, and a brand new Shopify app that lets merchants set up and run their entire business from their mobile platform, from their mobile phone, sorry. And this is what they've done recently. So all these investments are to really kind of uh, bolster the offering continually that they have for their customers and to stay ahead of the game. And as far as the opportunity to grow their base, their addressable market is absolutely phenomenal. So according to a 2014 survey, that sounds outdated, but it's the most comprehensive recent study, there were 47 million small to medium businesses globally and 10 million operate in Shopify's core market. So bear in mind, they have a little over 325,000 merchants right now. That is a tiny fraction of their potential market in a really growing space. So the e-commerce space grew 11% in the first half of 2016. Experts estimate that just the holiday season, e-commerce is going to grow by 11% to almost 100 billion. That's crazy. I, I saw a study the other day saying that I think like for every four dollars spent in America, like one dollar spent on Am- in Am- on Amazon in America. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Amazon is the top dog in this arena, and Shopify is really, I guess, a, a competitor mm. for them, even though they share some similarities. Um, and and actually, for as much as we think about e-commerce being um, pretty ubiquitous and something that we interact with all the time. I mean, I order stuff off Amazon all the time. Uh, it's uh, its penetration is actually fairly low, especially worldwide. I think um, it's somewhere in like the single digits or very low double digits. Um, so it, this is still, in a lot of ways, a trend that has a huge runway. So It really does. And I feel like uh, we're in the kind of cycle where um, small to medium businesses are being empowered. People are focusing on craft. Um, if you look, you know, Etsy, Pinterest, uh, and those kind of small organizations that are really fostering individual entrepreneurs. It's it's all kind of working together. Um, and I really feel like Shopify, it has the platform, as you can see, Tesla has their storefront with them. They can go all the way through the spectrum of different business sizes. So personally, I think that what they offer is really compelling. And, you know, they increased their number of merchants 60% year over year last quarter. So obviously there's a lot of people that agree um, their merchandise volume was 100% increase year over year. They're, they're making some fantastic uh, momentum. Hmm. Do you, are there are there problems, Sarah? There Tell me problems. the truth. <laughs> we will. You want to talk problems now? Or I you can want to talk do. problems at the end. 
I can do problems at the end. You, I want to give you your moment in the line. <laughs> All right. I will have my moment to talk Facebook. But before I do, um, just a thanks to Audible for supporting our podcast. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and more. Unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. For our audience, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Just go to audible.com fool and browse their unmatched selection of audio content. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. I've been listening to Shoe Dog, a memoir by the creator of Nike, uh, which is by Phil Knight, which is part of our editorial book club, something that we do with our writers at fool.com. Sarah, I know you've been reading it too. What are your thoughts on it so far? It's great. It's um, surprising to have such a genuine, um, seemingly truthful, uh, all the bare truths, good or bad, um, from an entrepreneur like Phil Knight. It's not something that you're used to when you read those kind of books. Yeah, I think he's been shockingly candid in, in talking yeah. about his personal experience and getting the business off the ground and even really kind of who he is as a person. Absolutely. Uh, incredibly insightful. And honestly, I think if you're a runner, if you're interested in running, it's a good book to read too, because it's not just business. Yeah, it's a nice crossover. You have the building of a business and you know going from him struggling to get financing and loans and capital to really get his business off the ground. And also it really indulges like the, the takeoff of jogging and running in America yeah. and Steve Prefontaine and the prominence of the Oregon uh, running team. So a lot to love there. It appeals to sports fans and business fans. And if you want to check it out, you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash fool. That's audible.com slash fool. So, Gabby, second half of the show. I'm ready. It is my turn to wow you. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of this company. <laughs> okay. Facebook. It's formerly the Facebook. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm guessing you and many of our listeners are fairly familiar, but... Uh, for anyone that isn't, um, Facebook is basically the umbrella company for a bunch of different social platforms. Facebook, their namesake one, being the main one, but also Instagram, um, Facebook Messenger, another one of their main properties, and WhatsApp. And so really, this is a company that is looking to connect people, um, build online engagement, create these communities and platforms where people can exchange content, exchange ideas, connect with each other. And they finance all that through advertisements, and that's how they make the bulk of their money. And so if you want to look at how the numbers break down for them, advertising makes up 98% of the company's revenue as of the most recent closed quarter earlier this month. And within that, mobile makes up 84% of ad revenue, and that's up 80% year over year. Um, to give you an idea of the growth rate, because this is kind of a business that's in a little bit of a different phase than Shopify. Um, they are, at this point, just under a $400 billion market cap company. So I think Shopify, for comparison, is a $5 billion market yeah. cap company. Um, Facebook posted Q4 year-over-year growth uh, revenue-wise of 51%, and on earnings per share was 124% growth. That's incredible. So. So Warren Buffett, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Do it. I complained about on every single show someone said something about Warren Buffett, and I now it's me. I heard you do that, so I intentionally <laughs> wanted to leave him out of this discussion. <sighs> Not that he would ever invest in Facebook. See, I love Warren Buffett. Like he's a nice guy. Um, he actually he lives in Nebraska. I lived near him at one point. I, you guys are practically neighbors. I drove past his house one time. Um, <laughs> but but no. So Warren Buffett, one of the things that he talks about is that when a company gets really really big, it's really hard for them to post astronomical growth, and that's pretty astronomical growth for a company that's really big already. 
Yes, those are those are gaudy growth rates, and I think in the future those will come down a little bit. We can talk about some of the reasons for that a little bit later on. But um, a lot of the reasons that I really like them as a company is in spite of the fact that they are already a $400 billion market cap company, roughly, um, they have a ton of growth going their way. And there's a lot to really like with their business. And so, I mentioned the revenue and EPS growth. But if you look at their namesake platform, last quarter, Facebook reported 1.86 billion monthly active users, 1.23 billion daily active users. And that's good for 17% and 18% increases year over year. So, you think about the denominators, that those are increasing on, and it's it's kind of crazy. Also, to put that number in context, uh, there's what about seven billion people in the world. Yep. About half of them have access to the internet. Yeah. And about half of those people are on Facebook. For a, a monthly. Listeners who are not, we also tape these shows video. If you ever want to see what we look like, Dylan's eyes are twinkling <laughs> right <Yes>. now. <laughs> I get excited. <laughs> uh, but the point with that is. The, what really drives the business for them is users coming onto the platform, so growing that user base and having them spend more time on the platform, because those two metrics allow them to have more ads appear in people's feeds. And so, when you see a business that it already has a user base in the billions still adding more at a double-digit clip, I think that's pretty impressive. Um, if you want to look at some of the growth opportunities for them with users, um, I think there's still some pretty big potential in the Asia-Pacific and rest of world regions. There, uh, most recently, those were up 25% and 19% year over year. So, a lot to like there. Um, I will caution that in terms of the average revenue per user for those regions or the kind of the value of those users, um, the strongest markets ad wise are US, Europe, Canada, um, just because the uh, consumer buying power is the strongest there. And so, the ad rates are kind of commensurate with that. And so, those might not necessarily be the same value in average revenue per user, but there's still a very long runway in a lot of those markets. Uh, beyond Facebook's core platform, though, one of the other reasons I really like the business is the scope of their properties and some of the opportunities that that opens up for them. And so, I mentioned that they have Facebook, WhatsApp, Messenger, and Instagram. Facebook, WhatsApp, and Messenger all have over a billion monthly active users. Instagram has over 500 million monthly active users. And a lot of those platforms benefit from what we call in tech the network effect. I don't know if this is something you're familiar with, Gabby. But the idea is, as each property grows, the value proposition for that property to users is stronger, and it's more compelling to non-users. Right? So, if I'm on Facebook and Sarah's on Facebook, and we're your two best friends, you're probably going to want to join Facebook. Sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, or if that's how we're all communicating, or if that's, that's how we're true. all posting that's, pictures. That's how I ended up on Facebook. That exactly. Is, that's actually what happened. You just get sucked mm -hmm. into it. And that's something that you enjoy when you have those critical masses of users like they have on all these different platforms. Um, something to be kind of excited about is when we look at the company's financials here, really Facebook and Instagram are the two properties that they've monetized. And so, you know, I think we're more or less at full monetization with Facebook. Uh, there will be growth naturally with user-based growth, but in terms of ad load, we're kind of at the saturation point there. Instagram, they're still rolling stuff out. Um, there's still some ramp there. But with WhatsApp and Messenger, we're still really in the early days. And those are properties that have combined you know, 1.5 billion monthly active users. So, if they can kind of crack that nut and understand how to monetize those users effectively, I think that the growth runway is fairly long for those other properties. So, I think that's something to like. Um, 
the last thing that I really love with this business is um, they're managed in a very foolish way. And so Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook's management really likes to think with a three, five, ten year outlook and approach. And they're very good in their quarterly calls about keeping investors in the loop about what the priorities are for that roadmap. And most recently, they've talked a little bit about three years looking to improve and expand the community they have, continue to grow users, and then you know continue to double down on pushes like live video, things that will engage people in their feeds, get people to come to the platform, interact with them more. Um, five years out, the main priorities, and kind of over the next five years is how you can think about that, um, Messenger and WhatsApp monetization, um, doing some more work with video and search, things like that. And then more broadly, 10 years, um, I don't know if you've heard about internet.org, which is a nonprofit that's largely funded by Facebook, but that whole nonprofit is aimed at growing access to the internet worldwide. Like I mentioned before, there's about 3, 3.5 billion people that have access to the internet of 7 billion in the world. Um, obviously, there's a lot of benevolence to wanting to make the entire world access the internet and have all the information and kind of agency that it enables. Um, as those people come online, there's also the element of, well, they're going to be probably fairly familiar with Facebook. And so the 10-year plan for them is to continue to grow access to the internet and bring those people into their ecosystem as they do. Um, some of the other stuff that they're targeting, which is a little bit more far afield from their current businesses but could be really interesting down the road, is um, investments in artificial intelligence. Right now, a lot of that is being used to tailor their news feeds and really provide people with the content that's most relevant to them. and then. They've made some splashes in virtual reality. I don't know if you heard about the acquisition of Oculus a couple years ago, but but the idea <laughs> <No>. is <laughs> well, it's it's a little different than what they typically do. You know, getting into hardware and, and virtual reality, and I think the market there isn't nearly as clear, and it's not not really certain what the opportunity will be or what adoption might be for consumers. But that's another field that they're playing in. And with all of this kind of long-term thinking, at the end of the day, it's going to be Mark Zuckerberg's show to run. The company and management has been very clear in setting themselves up so that um, he will maintain his controlling stake in Facebook. A little while back, they announced that they want to do a three-to-one stock split, and what that will basically do is give existing shareholders two Class C shares for every A and B they own. The Class Cs will be non-voting, and Zuckerberg will be able to give away via his charitable efforts the C shares and maintain his super voting B shares and control of the company. And so uh, you have a management that thinks long term and you have kind of the corporate setup where they are going to be able to continue to think long term without really having to worry about any major shareholder um, coming in and pushing them around. And so I really like that as well. Um, I've been talking <laughs> quite a bit, so I think maybe it might be time for us to kind of open this up a little bit, talk concerns or any questions that you have about some of these businesses. Yeah, I have questions. <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, and if you guys think of any questions for each other while I'm talking, feel free to jump into the fray. Um, I think it gets I think it's boring when one person talks for a really long time. <laughs> yes, I can take a hint. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, Sarah, um, Shopify versus Etsy. Like, can you explain the difference to yeah. me? Um, so, Etsy is a market marketplace platform. So, think like eBay, 
but mm-hmm. more specifically niche to crafts and things like that. So essentially, if you rent a store or you have a store and they take a percentage of the transaction. Uh, this is completely different in the sense that Shopify is what you would have if you wanted to have your own brand. So you're hosting your own. You're content. hosting all of your, your own. It gives you complete fun- like co- complete control over. Um, you can track your sales. You get all of that back-end facility and it's the payment processing too which is actually kind of tricky for companies to establish by themselves there's a lot of fintech companies coming into the space now as we know as you know probably better than than us but um yeah that's probably one of the key things that the company offers And, and actually on that point i think that there might be a lot of people who test out early concepts for kind of craft oriented businesses or more niche businesses with an etsy and then realize that there's traction there and then kind of switch over to a shopify because the offering is stronger and they want to be able to build themselves out in their internet presence. Well, the other does, thing, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. The other thing that Shopify does is they have buy buttons. So, you know, I don't know if you use Pinterest or Etsy, but um, there's a buy button like, even on Twitter and Shopify embeds those. And that's what they That's another thing that they offer. So another question, um, does Shopify take a percentage of the sales or are they just making money on like basically license, licensing no, fees? No, they, they take a percentage of the sales. So that um, gross, mo- oh, sorry, that's a... Uh, transaction volume, mm-hmm. um, they're taking a cut of the transaction volume. Okay. And so that's a business that scales as the customers succeed, yes. which is nice. You know, right. you, you kind of have the growth of acquiring new <clears throat> vendors, but you also have, as those vendors scale, become increasingly larger businesses, them enjoying the business success as well. Yeah, so it's mer- that's the merchant solutions revenue. So that's fees from sales. And that was up 115% last quarter. Okay, so last question. Remind me of someone, a customer that uses Shopify. Tesla. Tesla. Gabby is punching Tesla. I'm looking into I'm, her computer. I'm looking them up. Um, there's a shop button which I have just clicked on. You can buy a very sexy leather jacket <laughs> and charging accessories. It's pretty slick. Yeah, and I would have no idea that Tesla didn't just make this themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole point. The whole point is that they're empowering merchants. Um, and they're really making it hard to leave because it would be difficult to rep- for customers to move away and replicate that exactly as it was before. And that's interesting. Like, I wouldn't have expected Tesla to rely on a third party because it's not like they don't have the tech expertise uh, yeah. to make it themselves. But it can save companies a huge amount. I mean, one of the reasons that... Um, this that Shopify is uh, unprofitable is stock-based compensation, and the reason that a lot of tech companies use stock-based compensation is because they don't have much uh, money at the time, and they use it to attract talent. And a lot of that talent is developers um, and kind of tech people. So if anybody out there is about to make their college choices, <laughs> think carefully about the tech space. Um, so yes, that's what they, one of the things they use. And if they if a company can outsource essentially, um, and it really is pretty idiot-proof. I mean. Bless him, my husband. Set up. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, he's very, very intelligent. But uh, it, it's a very easy platform to use, and if they don't have to hire somebody to do that, that's a cost saving on that on that point. Shopify's tagline could be like, "Let us sh- do the share based compensation for you." <laughs> <laughs> it really could be. That's really funny. I had a, a friend uh, and I had dinner last night, and she was saying that she has been offered a job where, like a lot of it is is share based compensation and she and it's it's for a company that hasn't had an IPO yet and it's like well what do you do there <laughs> do you like the prospects mm, i don't know i think it's it's actually a company that y'all have probably talked about uber Interesting. <laughs> uh, well yeah. we will we'll couch that for another yeah. episode 
Um, um, but yeah, anyway, well, we could do a personal finance crossover episode. Should you accept a job with share-based compensation? Could be something for Motley Fool Answers. It w- it, that would be a great idea. Yeah. Um, questions for you now. Okay. Your turn, unless you have any questions for Sarah about no. Shopify. No, I'm not going right. to cross-examine her. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said 98% of the company's revenue comes from ads. Is that a problem with people increasingly using ad blockers? Uh, it depends. And so when you look at desktop traffic, yes. Um, that said, a very small portion of internet browsers use ad blockers. But like I personally use AdBlock Plus, and so a lot of ads that would be popping in, whether they be through Google or through Facebook, don't appear. But um, when we're talking mobile and the shift to mobile, uh, and you know, I talked about how I think 80% of their uh, ad revenue is coming in via mobile at this point, um, because people are coming to Facebook on mobile via the Facebook app, mm-hmm. that is a walled garden that mobile ad blockers cannot get into. And so um, that is not something that is impacting most of that traffic. And because general consumer trends are pushing that way, it's not something that I'm super worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. I hadn't thought about mobile ad blocking at all and like how that would work in like the ecosystem of your, of your phone. Um, I do have a question about, um, you're talking about them expanding, how they're, they only have like a seventh of the world's population using their their platform, but there are um, there are signif- there are countries where there is no Facebook. So, like China, for example, they have their own social media platforms. Um, do you think that that would be a problem in any other like kind of setting for their expansion, or do you think they would just buy those companies? Uh, no, I think that's a legitimate risk. And one of the things that, in addition to kind of these regional upstarts that we have. Um, the idea of demographic shifts maybe pushing people out of Facebook or having them not come into Facebook is something that I'm a little worried about. And so um, I think about how you know Facebook's been in the U.S. for 10 years at this point, mm-hmm. and in the tech world, that's an eternity. I mean, that's that's a long time. And you know, you think about how you might have looked at MySpace or something back in the day and been like, ah, like that's like I'm not a part of that, you know, <laughs> um, and instead gone to Facebook. I think that there's the risk, not only internationally, of you know there being more entrenched um, platforms that are specific to certain countries, maybe, and have really great traction there. Um, but I'm a little bit more worried about uh, people that are coming onto the internet now, younger folks, maybe like you know early teens, um, looking at the offerings that are out there in the social networking world, and instead deciding to go maybe with like Snap, uh, they're offering Snapchat rather than going to Facebook because they see Facebook as kind of this old dowdy it's an old person thing internet relic you know because like oh my my parents are on Facebook I don't want to be on Facebook my grandma's on Facebook <laughs> yeah my both both my parents are on Facebook mm-hmm. I'm not friends with my dad interesting <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things I'm really excited about with that is snap will be going public and so we will be getting some color on their business and customer acquisitions, hopefully, and um, can kind of watch those two track each other. To mitigate some of that, Facebook has been pretty good recently um, about bringing in Snapchat-style functionality. Oh, yeah, like Facebook Live, Yes. Right? Well, kind of. Is that a thing? Facebook Live is a thing. I've seen that advertised on bus shelters. Yes, they're pushing that like crazy. But um, the Snapchat style functionality of like stories and like little posts and things like that that are disappearing, um, that is. <laughs> Who does that remind us of? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, 
that is being brought to the Instagram and Facebook Messenger platforms. And so I think they're seeing what resonates with people and bringing it there as a point to attract them to these platforms. Okay. That was a roundabout way of answering your question. No, that was that was a really good answer. That that made me think about things that I hadn't thought about before. So I really appreciate that. Um, so my last question is actually about internet regulation, and this is kind of like for whoever wants to answer it, mm-hmm. I guess. But it, you made me think of it when you're talking about like the ten year plan to get more people on the internet. Um, in the past, and likely again, there have been bills that have talked about uh, inter- internet throttling and stuff like that could be a problem for online businesses like what what do you see do you see potential future regulations as a problem do you think we're moving away from that as a society as a society this is kind of like a touchy-feely question i know mm-hmm. but like i'm interested on, in hearing your opinions on this yeah when i think about regulation and facebook's 10-year plan i tend to focus on the net neutrality side of internet.org offering and um do you want to explain net neutrality real quick? Absolutely. It's, it's complicated. <laughs> a net neutrality is basically uh, a free and open internet, and the idea that people are not getting um, restricted versions of the internet or censored versions of the internet. And one of some of the pushback that Facebook was met with in India when they were trying to roll out internet.org there and kind of build connectivity is the suite that is part of internet.org is basically you have access to these, like I say, at the time it was at least like 30 or 40 platforms. And they were kind of a mix of uh, messaging, social networking, job hunting, news type of stuff. But it was a curated package of all these different internet properties. And the pushback, the regulatory pushback they got was, well, that's not the internet. That is a hand-picked version of the internet. And if people come online and they see that, they might confuse Facebook for the internet. And that's it. You know, And they might not realize that there's all of this indexed world out there that they can explore. And it might lend itself to some monopolistic forces, right? Um, I think that with the big tech pushes, both from Facebook, Google's getting into this as well, or Alphabet, I should say, um, the benefits of having more of the world connected probably outweigh the competitive risks of having um, it being pushed by major tech titans that have an interest in staying entrenched in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think those will probably win out. They might have to do it in a watered-down way that gives people more access generally. But I'm more worried about the net neutrality side of stuff than internet throttling, if that makes sense. No, that's totally fine. Um, It's it's an interesting thing. And every time it comes up, and every time it has come up recently, it has been defeated. But I know that, you know, new administration, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and the, and the domestic side of that is a whole other host of issues. We, yeah. could, we could spend a whole episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Do you have anything that you want? Oh, sorry. Just kick Sarah. Do you have anything you'd like to say about that? Or? No, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because back home in the UK, there's a lot of companies threatening to leave because the actual internet infrastructure isn't as good as they would like. So, I mean, you, you have those issues too, which I realize is separate to that kind of big micro macro issue. But um, I would say the US is in a particularly good place with um, the wireless and wireline infrastructure. Yeah, it's it was wild. I um, studied abroad in Australia for a few months, and this is many years ago, many, many moons. Um, and it was wild because here, like, there was Wi-Fi on campus everywhere, and you know, like, you paid one set amount and you had access to the internet. And sure, you could pay more for faster speeds, but there, you literally paid for how much data you could use. The more data you wanted to use, the more you had to pay. Here, it's 
the faster that is, the more you pay, but they don't put a cap on your data in theory um, for your computer internet. And it's it's interesting. And and not to uh, plug Facebook again in this conversation, but I will. Yeah, I feel like you're getting a lot more ad time. So <laughs> speak up then. Um, but um, with with the focus on mobile and and that being where a lot of their revenue is coming from, um, most people first come online in a lot of developing areas via mobile devices mm-hmm. and not desktop. Which do have data caps. Which do have data caps, but there's also. Uh, data caps and very often Wi-Fi connectivity. So you have kind of two ways to approach. Yeah. So um, that's another thing to think about. Um, anything you're worried about with Shopify, Sarah? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. As I said, I'll, I'll be really quick about it. But um, the big thing to bear in mind, and obviously we always encourage everybody to do their own background into stuff. But the company isn't profitable, so they lost 9.5 million in the third quarter, despite making really healthy gross margins. So they had 79% on their subscription business, 26.5% on the merchant solutions, but a negative net margin of 10%. Um, so a 27 million loss year to date. And the reason for that is SGNA, which is um, sales general administrative costs and stock-based compensation. So. I will say SGNA is uh, trending down as a percentage of revenue. So it was 84% in 2012. It was 58% last year. I will uh, 2015. Sorry, I will caveat that by saying 2016 is probably going to trend up slightly. Um, and again, stock-based conversation. We've already talked about it. It's it's regular. It's it's a usual thing to see for these high-growth tech companies. But we are starting to see some companies pull back, especially in like the cybersecurity sector and things like that. So it's something to be mindful of. Liquidity. Uh, they're carrying debt. I wouldn't worry about their debt ratio. Um, and in terms of um, valuation, obviously they don't have any earnings. So traditional metrics like P we can't use, but price to sales is 13 um, and it's 3.9 average for software and services. If you take Square, which we reference, I don't know how familiar you are, but it's kind of a similar payment processing. Uh, theirs is 10. So it's not crazy, but it's you're going to pay a premium for the growth story here. But the bottom line is, um, it's exactly what you're paying for. It's potential growth, and and, and honestly, Dylan, you, you've made such a compelling argument for Facebook. They really do have a lot more growth left in them, and it's a safer, more stable, long-term bet. Um, I honestly believe that this has a long way to go because I think the platform is just so compelling, and there's you know so many more entrepreneurs coming onto the market. There's a lot of innovative solutions that are being developed. Um, and even it could convince bit large companies to switch to their platforms too. So uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my pitch. But yeah, bear in mind the fact that they're they're not profitable. Um, so valuing them is tricky, and you really have to convince yourself about the stewardship um, and the growth story. Okay, well, um, I know that I'm gonna go home and check on their debt because <laughs> I'm wild about debt. Uh, it's I think just a <laughs> just a side effect of having been on the finance show so long that I'm just like, what is it? Like, what's the interest rate? In what form is it? Like, I want to know. Um, but I'm not going to help those questions at yeah, you. Be good. <laughs> I do have a question, though, which is Do you own Shopify? No, um, but I will soon. It's, it's on Sarah's <laughs> not, watch list. It's on my watch list. Yeah. No, it's, it's kind of pricey right now. I think it's $50 a share. Uh, it's been on a, a bit of a tear, as Dylan was saying before. Uh, my personal expectation for this next quarter is that SGNA is going to track up slightly, and I'm wondering if that's going to have an effect on the share price. Um, so they report next week, uh, the end of the week, and um, I would, I, I, I am going to buy shares because I believe that they have a lot of potential. I would love a lower entry point, but we shall see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, same question for you. Do you own Facebook? I do. Michael Douglas and I did an episode 
uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, talking about Facebook in-depth. And after the necessary compliance period ended, I had bought shares because I had convinced myself of buying shares. And I had to be very careful in planning this show and that show <laughs> to make sure that I was in a window, that I was in the clear. Um, in the interest of painting a full picture here, like there are some other concerns that I have in addition to some of the demographic stuff with Facebook, and I think it's it's just kind of worth mentioning. Um, as I talked about before, you know that 50% growth rate is super appealing for their top line. Management has guided that that is going to come down considerably in 2017. And one of the main reasons for that is ad load has more or less reached full saturation on the Facebook feed itself. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the main drivers of that. Um, so I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but don't expect the company to continue to be growing 50% year over year. Uh, it might drop down into the mid-30s. I'm not 100% sure. They're not a very guidance-oriented business, so it's a little tough to peg. But um, given some of the other opportunities, even if what goes on with Facebook itself is kind of relatively steady state. I like the story there. Um, some of the other risks to consider with monetizing Messenger and monetizing WhatsApp, they're both messaging apps, right? Yeah. And those, just the way that users interact with a messaging app is fundamentally different than the way someone goes to Facebook or goes to Instagram. They're both feed-based content styles where people are naturally going to be scrolling down their phone and inline ads are a very natural part of the user experience. And so they've done a great job of monetizing platforms in the past. A lot of people doubted that they were going to be able to make mobile work, and that's why they traded down you know, in the 15s at one point. But the messaging apps are a slightly different animal, and it's going to provide a unique challenge to management in order for them to really monetize it. So I think that's another risk to be mindful of. Fair enough. Um, I think that we're running pretty long. Long episode. Long episode, so I think it's time to wrap up. As I said, listeners, I'm going to go home and do some research on all the companies I've heard about this week, and I'll talk about what I've decided to buy eventually, <laughs> once I can buy it. No rush. Do your research. No rush. Exactly. It, it, it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not, it, ta it takes me a year to find the perfect pocket knife. <laughs> um, I can't even imagine how long it's going to take me to decide on stocks that people have already done about 70% of the work for me on. <laughs> Um, but no, I do have one question which I've asked everyone on the show so far, which is if you could give one piece of advice to a beginning investor, what would it be? Uh, read earnings calls. I think it gives you a really good flavor of the management. Um, there's no better way to thoroughly understand the business um, and how competent a lot of the people in senior leadership are. That's absolutely true. There's been a few times that I've read earnings transcripts and I'm just like, man, that guy sounds sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like a few months later, some scandal happens, and I'm like, I knew because I read the earnings transcript. When you got the yeah, when you're in tune like that, then definitely read the earnings. <laughs> wow, expert judge of character. <laughs> Who knew? I think my advice, it's similar to Sarah's, in the idea of understanding what's going on with the business, but don't just look at the number and cite the number. Understand the forces that play into the number and what might be causing it. And so you get a lot of that color from commentary uh, from the commentary on the conference calls. But um, early on, when people are learning to invest, you'll see them be like, oh, this is the PE, so it's undervalued. And, and I think that really you want to understand all the mechanics at play and, and what's driving the business because yeah. you get a much better sense of what's going on that way. Got it. So it's not just understanding what the ratio means, although that's very important. It's understanding what's driving the ratio and understanding the ratio in context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the context of the industry is probably the biggest thing I learned when I started. Yeah. 
Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a very, very substantial conversation. <laughs> Are you wiped after doing five episodes this week? Um, super wiped, but I was really pumped when I came into the studio today and discovered munchkins, little, <laughs> little donuts. Gotta love Chris Hill. I was, oh my God. They Slash have, hate him. The blueberry ones are the best. I know it's like the super fake blueberry taste, and I'm really into that. Are there any left in the box? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Gabby shakes the box. <laughs> I think at this point, we can wrap the show. Probably. Do you want to do, you want to do it or I'll should ta- I? I'll take us home. Uh, well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at pool.com. You can always tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at pool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Gabby LaPera and Sarah Priestley, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.